You're listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. Our teaching text comes from Mark 10, verse 17 through 22. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. If we haven't met yet, my name is Carlos. I am the pastor of worship and mission here at Oaks. Um, And I'm really glad to be here this morning with you guys. So, that's because y'all lost an hour of sleep last night, and it's wow, amazing. Just sleep less. No, I'm um, there's this Russian movie called Stalker from 1979. You're going to start there, guys. No spoiler alert because it's from 1979. So you, anyways. It's a classic, by the way. If you are into movies, it's like up there. It's a brilliant movie, honestly. But in this movie... There is a, it's about a journey that these two guys take, uh, and they you know, find this guy named Stalker who is uh, kind of a Sherpa kind of guy. You know, they needed him to help them get into this place because they're trying to get into this like, kind of strange, magical, unexplored place called the zone, right? And it's got hard to know what time it is, like time in history, because it's kind of like a post-apocalyptic kind of vibe. But anyway, so they, along with this guy named Stalker, they're like, hey, we got to get to this place called the zone. And the reason why they want to go to this place is because in this strange, unexplored place, there's a room. And if you dare to enter in this room, it says to give the desires of your hearts, like what you desire most will be granted to you. Not what you think you want the most, but what you actually want the most. It's a big difference there. It's a little tricky. What if all of you stood up and one by one came to the stage, grabbed the microphone, faced everybody else, and said what you wanted the most? But in fact, what you actually want the most is revealed in the screen right behind us. Guys, as much as I love crowd participation, I'll never let you do that. Don't worry about it. That's just, that's just brutal. But I will say, though, that at any moment, any moment that we find ourselves in the presence of God, in the presence of the Most High, when we gather to worship, 
to seek his face. That is exactly the thing that gets highlighted because it's ultimately good. Keep that in mind. And that's been my prayer for today that as we wrestle with this passage a little bit, that our hearts would be open to the one who can actually truly reveal what that is and move us and change us from the inside. So a little recap from where we're at. We're in this teaching series called Prayer Over Troubled Waters. And yes, just like Gemma, I cannot shake the song out of my head. Um, and she started us off a couple Sundays ago with location. What does it mean to, like, stop? When we're lost and disoriented, the best thing is not to keep on going wherever we're going because we don't really know where we're at. So stop. And she talks about practices of silence and solitude that will help us open up to God in the midst of the chaos of our life. When we don't know where to go, stop. And then Ryan, the next week, last week, talked about orientation, which is, hey, don't stop at stopping. You need to find a true north. So that means find something outside ourselves to provide reference for where to go, for guidance and direction, right? And he also shared how God is the best, in fact, the only one who can effectively and truly do just that with us. Today I'm talking about then stepping out, continuing the process, stepping out in obedience, meaning we don't stop at stop, we don't stop only at seeking God and finding a true north, but then we actually take a move, take a step towards whatever that direction is, right? And just to wrap up the thing, next week, Patrick will wrap up our series talking about sustenance, meaning how then prayer can keep me going, like keep on keeping on, right? So about obedience, what, what is the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word obedience? Now I do want some crowd participation. Just shout, whatever you're thinking about. Oh, parents, man, come on. <laughs> wow, seriously? No, i But yes, what else? What else? I mean, yeah. Come on, guys. Okay. Following orders. Orders, rules. One more. Good. Fair. Uh, just so you know. Dictionary definition of obedience is the act of carrying out the requests or commands of a person of higher status within the social hierarchy. Kind of convoluted, but anyways. Here's the thing. Have you ever found that sometimes it's hard, it's actually not hard at all to know what God wants or asks of us. It's like we stop, we start after him, spoken, he's given some direction, some clarity, but then what is actually hard is to follow through. Like, you know, I know what I got to do. I just, you know, you know what I'm getting at. And, and I will shoot straight with you because uh, sincerely, what I believe is that we have a hard time obeying God because we forget who he is or we don't know him at all. Let me unpack that for a little bit. None of us know the fullness of God, Period. Adam and Eve probably knew. They walked with him in the cool of the day, you know, naked and unashamed, fully known and fully loved by God, and God was right there in presence 
fully and readily available to be known. What a sweet relationship. But we don't have that. As a result of disobedience, I mean, what a fitting word, uh, you and I don't get to live into the fullness of who we were created to be or are able to relate to God in that same sweet way until Jesus steps into the scene. Yes, I'm sharing the gospel with you guys right now. Because this is what he promised. This is literally what he says. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And if you were lost and looking for a way to go, guess what? You found it. He's the way. If you had many questions and don't know where to start, guess what? You found the source of literally everything, the truth. And if you believe that there's more to experience in this life than with the way you've been living, then guess what? You found that too. You found life. His words, not mine. And then he adds, no one can know the Father, meaning God, if not through me. So that brings us right back to that beginning, that relationship, that sweet relationship of knowing who God is fully and letting him know, me know me fully. You know, relationship with one another, with creation. And yes, we can. We are getting back there to that through Jesus. But this is so important to grasp because if we're not on the same page, if we don't know the common story that we're all part of, the story that God is writing, the way he has chosen to reveal himself through the scriptures and the way he has fully revealed himself through his son Jesus, then there's absolutely no way that we can know him, first and foremost, and there's absolutely no way that we can know his heart, which is also the key thing here. And therefore, there's absolutely no way that I'll trust him. I wouldn't trust someone I don't know. Like, sir, what are your intentions, you know? Like, literally. So, are you tracking? Like, there's that correlation of, like, how can I obey and trust and know what he wants and what he cares for me, what his heart is, who he is? There's no way I would obey someone I don't know. So when I say we have a hard time obeying God because we forget who he is, but we don't know him at all, again, if you don't know him at all, you don't know him. That's easy. End of the story. But we constantly forget who he is. We are forgetful and sinful. Like, what a great combo, right? And it's like any relationship. None of it happens in a day. Like, it takes time. It takes intentionality. It takes practice. It takes living things together to build trust, right, and to feel more comfortable in sharing things with one another, right? The same thing is with your relationship with God. For those of us who've been walking with Jesus for a little while, we can be so quick to forget the experiences that we've had, the things that we've lived with him, and the ways that God showed up over and over again. But God knows exactly how to nudge us, like lovingly push us out of our comfort zone, right? Again, he loves us too much to leave us in the same spot. That's why when we stop, seek, it's like, great, I'm glad you're seeking me. Guess what? Let's, let's adjust some things. And again, not because he's a performance-oriented God or he's looking for better numbers at the end of the quarter, but because the deeper you go, the fuller and more richer your life will be. That is a promise. That is the pearl of great price, like worth giving up absolutely everything for the joy that is to know God and be known by him, period. We could end here. That would be great. And that's where prayer becomes the air we breathe. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Let me just pray for us real quick, and then we'll dive into this teaching text. But that's what we're unpacking today. 
God, I thank you that even now, you are speaking. And I pray, Jesus, that the steps that we're talking about stop orienting, trusting in obedience and stepping out. That wouldn't just necessarily be something that would carry through an arch of week or months or things. Yet there are those things. But God, it would be something so simple and quick as of now that we wouldn't delay. And I just pray, God, for our hearts to be open for the ways that you're speaking and moving. That we will listen to your voice. That we will know your nudges. So we give this space to you, Lord. And you do as you please. Reorient us. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's jump into our teaching text here and explore a little bit on prayer and obedience. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, shall not murder, shall not commit adultery, shall not steal, not give false testimony, shall not defraud, honor your mother and father. And he says, teacher, all these things I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad. Because he had great wealth. Now a little bit about this passage is that out of the four gospels that we have, meaning the four different people who chose to tell the story of Jesus, it happens in three of them. That means, hey, this is kind of an important story. It was an important encounter to have it recorded. And they kind of tell it basically exactly the same. There's a few different things highlighted here and there in between them. For instance, Matthew is the only one who actually calls this person young. Uh, Luke says that the man was kind of a ruler or maybe a leader of some kind in that society and community. And Mark, the text that we chose, kind of emphasizes like desperate approach that the man has in asking the question to Jesus. Um, and that just goes to highlight that, again, especially when you read in the Bible and you have like title, you know, on top of different sections. This one is called the rich young ruler. Most of the times. And that's because he borrowed from all these different passages. Anyway, so this is just a little bit of a, you know, whenever we're reading scripture, guys, don't stick to one text. Like, get more context. Do things. So let's see what we learn about the man. Again, I just shared with you, he was young, from different te texts. He was also considered kind of a ruler, uh, some type of leader in society. But I chose Mark because there's a certain desperation when he approaches Jesus to ask the question, kind of like, I must know this kind of feeling, you know, like, I've exhausted all my resources, and I just need to ask this guy, like, what, what, what about it? And the question is interesting, because the question kind of marks the point, it's like, hey, I, what about eternal life? Like, what do I need to do? Like, there's something about beyond this, right? Like, and clearly, he was kind of like losing sleep over it, right? And it might be because you want to know about, hey, is, should I continue this way? Or maybe his version of eternal life was like, this is going really good for me. I hope this continues forever. I don't know. 
Maybe he's just tired of the way he's living. I don't know. But there's something about it that really bothered him. And he had to ask the question. And in Mark's words, kind of desperately. But then we got to look for the clues. For instance, kind of clearly that this man was also Jewish. One, because he went to Jesus. Kind of, hey, so you know some things. Uh, Also, because Jesus replies about the Ten Commandments. Like, I don't think he would just ask anybody, but hey, Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments. Like, looking at this man, it's probably like, I see your background kind of thing. So, meaning there was some common knowledge there. There was some common story that he knew, you know, as growing up Jewish. Like, hey, about a kingdom, about a Messiah that will come and rule and all that. But again, look for the clues. I'm just highlighting things for us to understand and, and pluck things out for the text. But the thing that is interesting, too, is Jesus' answer, right? Guy comes up, like, Rabbi, Jesus, how, what teacher, what do I need to do to inherit eternity? Good teacher. Sorry, he calls good. And I love that Jesus is, like, a little sassy here, right? A little on the nose. Like, good? I mean, only God is good. You calling me God? I mean, I don't know. It's like, okay, Jesus, come on. But don't, don't dismiss Jesus' sassiness here a little bit. Because I love what he actually highlights in that little, you know, back and forth. He's like, hey, only God is good. Meaning, there is a major attribute of God that you're highlighting right now. Not for me, but again. And it's, it's funny because every time I read this, I have a brief reminder of like the many words that we use that their fullness are actually only found in Jesus, only found in God. As a son of ESL, like English is a second language. Uh, it was really funny learning English and like kind of finding words. It was like, okay, this is kind of a slang. Like the one word that I always remember that it kind of highlights this to me is like, wow, this word is good, but I can use it. But it's not fullness of it. The word awesome. Seriously, like God is awesome. And when I say that, it's like, man, what a slang. Like I know it's not a slang anymore. But anyways, but the word awesome is to be left in awe and wonder. It's good to say that about some other things, and it might be true too, but like, man, God is awesome. Like to think about the fullness of the word actually exists about him. Anyways, quick parenthesis. Let's close parenthesis. Let's go back to the Ten Commandments. Uh, that was the back and forth of the interaction. Like, okay, God, question. Jesus is like, well, call me good. Only God is good. Well, you know the Ten Commandments. So like, well, seriously, who knows the Ten Commandments here? No, I'm not going to ask you to say it. But good to know. Ten Commandments that Jesus refers with that set of laws, right? That was for Israel back in the day to follow and obey. And it was a set of laws to set them apart from other nations, right? Not just for the sake of being different, but actually to align them with God and allow his character to shine to the rest of the world. See, like Yahweh, the God of Israel, is the one true God. So let it be known, not just by Israel, not just by following the set of rules, but like, see, see how he is the one true God? Because the thing is, God is a missionary God. And even though he chose in a specific people and nation like Abraham and Israel, his heart has always been for the whole of creation. Again, he created everything anyways. So he's reclaiming everything, right? So no pick and choosing, but he has to start somewhere. But the fact is that, interesting to think about, that the Israelites, from the Ten Commandments, 
Those are a set of rules that they actually never fully followed. There are many. And not that, like, God put them in a trap. It's like, hey, listen, just follow these rules and, you know. It's like, no, it wasn't a trap to, like, hey, you're never going to fulfill this. But it's important to understand the meaning for it because God is a relational God. And one good analogy to think about is that the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments for the Old Testament, it's kind of like the law of Moses to the gospel, to Jesus. It's kind of like what an EMT is to the doctor, right? It was meant to keep you stable, provide some first aid, and approach until they get you to the doctor. So when you think about it, it's, I mean, it's reducing a little bit of an analogy, but the truth is, yes, this is a set of laws. This is a set of ways that I would love you to interact with one another, interact with me for the sake of knowing my heart. But I know you won't know it until my son gets here, until I am fully revealed to you, until these things get set in motion. So it had its purposes. But I'm just tracking. So, uh, okay. From the Ten Commandments, Jesus' Sermon on the Mountain, which is kind of his manifesto uh, later in the Gospels, is an expansion of the Ten Commandments. Like he basically said, I didn't come to abolish what was written. I didn't come to, you know, ignore it. I actually came to fulfill it. And to show you that, like, it's my God, God's heart is to, like, over these things. But it's like, this was just a little peek into it. Now that I'm here, now that Jesus is in the scene, it's like, that old covenant it's fulfilled, and I'm giving you a new covenant, a new way to relate. You tracking? We don't really get to camp here much, but the point is that the law was important, and it was meant to be fulfilled and expanded upon with Jesus. Not to include any addendums or extra things just for the sake of extra things, but if anything, it becomes even more clear what is God's heart, what does it look like, and what he expects of us. And Jesus comes into the scene. So, speaking of hearts, then let's get to the heart of things, right? Because I don't want us to dismiss the forest for the trees here in this passage. When Jesus tells him the Ten Commandments, I imagine this guy probably like reciting with Jesus already. He's like, oh yeah, these, like, I know these, I know this, we're talking, same language here. And he even gets like a little braggy, right? He's like, no man, I've kept these since I was a boy. Like, come on, like, I, I know this. Check, done that. Been there, done that. And it's easy to kind of look down on him kind of quickly. It's like, man, come on, bro. But we've all been there, friends, sincerely. Like, again, we're sinful and forgetful at heart, right? And how many times God has to remind us of who he is. Because if it doesn't, it's easy for me to go about my day focusing on myself and actually making the world revolve around me. And all the while thinking, man, I'm really pretty good at this pastor thing, you know? Like... I know exactly what to do, I know exactly what to say, blah, 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 blah. And in fact, I'm missing the most important thing. I'm missing God's heart and intention and care and grace revealed when I give him the space to speak. When I give him the time to act and everything else that he deserves. Because it's about him and not about me. And the fact that we can many times think that we're doing good because, well, I memorized this verse and that thing, right? I'm, I'm, I'm going through this. I'm, I'm, man, I'm nailing it. Or like, oh, this situation, I've been through this before. I kind of remember what to do, God. I got it. Or, yeah, I already prayed three times today. Like, we good. 
Or I helped someone in the streets today. You know, I did my act of service. I checked that box. All those things can be great things. And we can engage them as much as we can and still miss the point. Point of obedience is that God is a God of relationship. And his love language is obedience. When you think of obedience, I do not want you to think of as a set of rules and things to follow, but actually a relationship to be gained and to be in. Because it's really hard to see the one asking for your full heart and attention if you don't, again, cage in that. Like, I actually want to obey because I know him, and I want to please him, and I want to honor him, and I want to give everything he deserves. Not because I'm going to gain something, but I do actually gain full life back. You see what I'm getting at? But I don't want us to dismiss, again, miss the forest with the tree. I forget what this analogy is. Anyways, but you know what I'm talking about. There's a lot of people who look at this story, this encounter with the rich young ruler, and asking the question with Jesus and his reply. And it's very easy to look at it. It's like, oh, it's about material possessions and wealth. And yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Like, that's an obvious great point at the surface. But man, there's so much underneath. Because in Mark, if you keep reading, yeah, Jesus even goes on and dissects a little bit with his disciples about that interaction. Talks about how much easier it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Right? You've probably all heard that. But the main question I want us to wrestle with today is why was it so hard for the man to obey Jesus? Why was it so hard for him to take Jesus at his word? Like, dude, you just got... Finally, the answer to the question that you so longed for, that probably kept you awake for nights, he just said it. Like, why, why wouldn't you do it? And yeah, based on what we unpacked a little bit today, he knew God. I mean, or better off, he knew of God, right? Through the set of rules, through the Ten Commandments, through the things he's kept since he was a boy. But he actually didn't know God's heart at all. And he knew about obedience as a set of rules to be followed, but not as a relationship and an act of worship to the one that you love. He knew about life, about eternal life, and knew about the law and apparently kept it all. But again, never allowed that to actually shape his life. And the moment he was desperate enough to figure out why something was still filling off, Jesus was kind enough to point to it. It's easy to dismiss this passage and jump Maybe to the ridiculous conclusion that, like, Jesus don't want us to be rich or have material possessions at all. Trust me, this is not a prosperity gospel, I promise you. But the heart of this passage really is about your heart. We have a hard time obeying Jesus because he will always so lovingly and so gracefully point us to something that we need to drop in order to take the first step of obedience. Something needs to die. Pick up your cross. So the question is actually not even why was it so hard for him to obey Jesus. Was, is what is occupying the space in your heart or in your life that is leaving absolutely no more room for God? That's the real question that comes up beyond the surface of this passage. What is occupying space in your heart that leaves absolutely no room for God? 
Put it this way, if the question for sustenance for next week is like, what do I need in order to keep going? The question for obedience is always, what do I need to drop in order to start this journey? I want to invite the band back up as we wrap up. But there was a very interesting study I read a long time ago about insurance companies and marketing for like high level, very, very rich clients. And they were doing a word study because like how do we engage, you know, and I'm talking about like art collectors, you know, and they were doing a word study, like how do we engage, you know, our clients into more of the products that we're selling, like trying to understand what words resonated with them. Uh, and it turns out that a majority of these clients who, yes, are really rich and wealthy, like think about how much do you pay for that Picasso, you know, kind of thing. Uh, they, when the question was asked, like, they kind of said like, no, you know what, I'm, I'm not in that category. Like I just, I love collecting art or I love, you know, I put value in these things, but I'm not, I'm not like, no, I'm not rich like that. Like there's, there's the other person who is definitely rich. Like there's always someone above them that they could point to like, no, no, that person is a millionaire. Or that person is like, yeah, definitely up there, that 1%, like, but I'm, I'm not. Like, brother, but you, like, you're pretty well off. Like, the thing is that they didn't relate to that, right? And I wonder if that's something that we do so easily with this passage. It's like, hey, I wonder how much we relate to the rich young ruler. And again, I was, I was so convicted with this when God brought to my mind because I was, I was preparing and think, man, rich young ruler, yeah, many possessions, like hard on him, man, you walk outside, you know. That was what was occupying space in his heart, but not mine, you know, like, I'm, I don't have all he has. And immediately the Holy Spirit was like, yeah, but isn't material possessions have a lot to do with comfort? But if you change the N word in there and say, like, at this time, the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great comfort. He was very comfortable. And granted, we don't need material possessions to get comfortable. I'm not saying just for the sake of being uncomfortable, like, how comfortable are you at your job? And God's been nudging about it, like, maybe about that coworker that You've known for years and never actually been curious about how God might be moving in their life. Even if they don't know who God is, it doesn't matter, you do, right? And don't you think He's put you there for a reason? Are you too comfortable to listen to God and to love others to the point that the whole world would know Him? Like, you got a mission, man. Don't get too comfortable. Wake people up to the reality that God is present. Or how comfortable are you in your relationships? Meaning, you only hang with people who look like you or talk like you. That's fairly easy, loving those who are lovable. But go out and hang your enemies. Oh, actually, by the way, can you love them too? Literally, from the mouth of Jesus, love your enemies. Pray for them. And the point is that we still sit around wondering what to do. Or, sincerely, a very dangerous one. 
which is disguised in spiritual practices? Are you too comfortable coming to church every Sunday and getting some encouragement for the week and forgetting about God all the other six days of the week, forgetting about your neighbor, forgetting about your family? Are you comfortable maybe fasting once a week, but actually you just, you didn't fast, you just skipped eating? What is occupying space in your heart? What has left you numb and comfortable? And God's like, I love you too much to leave you there. And that's to wrestle with, friends. Would you stand? I just want to pray for us and invite the prayer team to come to the front. Friend, I want, you, I want you to hear me very clearly now that as hard as this, as this is, because it really is, like someone is pointing the finger, not someone, God is pointing the finger, and like, man, this thing, drop it. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't go well. It doesn't, you don't need it. That's uncomfortable. It really is. And I just want you to acknowledge that. I'm not just bringing it up because, like, wow, that was the passage. Because I want you to remember, I want you to know that there's so much joy on the other side of this. There's so much life on the other side of this. It's not simply to, like, man, I got to drop that habit. It's like, God, I want more of you. I need more of you. Something's getting in the way. Maybe we don't know what it is yet, and it's fine. But just know, because of who we are still in this side of heaven, working things up with God, it's always going to be something. And he's always going to be so loving to point it out. Because he loves you, and he knows you. And he knows you in ways that you don't even know. He knows you in ways that there's so much more of you to know and to be and to live. And he so longs for that to shine. I so long to see that shining in all of us. That's the full church. That's the priesthood of all believers. That's we coming fully alive. I long to see that. I long to feel that. And that's just the reality of obedience. Like, God, okay, I think it's this thing. Whatever he's bringing to mind, whatever he's already touched your heart, I'm like, mm, just name it and give it back to him. It's okay. Because we're all on the journey together. You're not alone in this. You're not alone in like, man, there's that thing. Trust me. Trust God. So let me just pray for us and we'll spend some time in worship real quick. Holy Spirit, we thank you. We thank you for your sweet whisper straight to our hearts and not out of condemnation or shame or but out of love out of relationship out of out of joy of pulling out who we are in you so i just pray god over us right now over your people that holy spirit would you give us the courage to take that first step the courage to take that step of obedience because 
truly we want to drop whatever it is that you name it. We want to wholeheartedly, fully run towards you. Is there anything weighing us down, God? Anything that we don't need on this journey? Thank you for revealing it to us. Thank you for making it so clear what you expect of us. What do you want from us? And thank you that we can wholeheartedly say yes and without having to figure everything else out because you already did. So, Father, I just pray that in this moment we'll just worship you in spirit and truth, knowing that you are God and we are not, and we can come before you fully as we are, and know that you are God who sustains us, who holds us, who loves us, and is equipping us for the journey ahead. If that means dropping some things off, totally fine. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, take this time, worship, talk to Jesus, talk to someone next to you, come up for prayer. But just take a first step of obedience, however that looks like.